you've been living in the moment. And when I say this, I mean, have you been living where the ups and downs of life uh, seem to kind of influence how you react, influence how you're living right in that time? Uh, I can't even count the amount of times that I've been so focused on the moment that I'm in in life, whether that be in difficulty and struggle or you know, the pleasure of getting what I wanted right when I wanted it, um, that it begins to change my focus and how I am living. Uh, my focus was on the immediate, the right now. And uh, as a Christian, our perspective on the moment really should be different. We no longer are just living solely instant by instant, um, but with hope as we both look back to what God has already done and what God has already promised to us. As we then also look ahead with hope and what He has promised He will do trusting Him and His character and His promises through and through. But so often the world is telling us, you don't have to wait. You can get what you want this very instant. You know, you don't have to wait for that amazing thing. And it's hard to wait. You know, it takes forever to get these things that we want. And then once you're in it, it ends so quickly. However, God offers us something eternal. Though we wait, once that waiting is over, that longing is over, we are promised to be with him forever in his glory. But do we anticipate that? Or are we still searching for the good life, the fleeting joys and thrills because it's easier and we don't have to wait for it? Malachi answers God's people with these last six verses, leaving them with a fine line and a definite choice and definite outcomes. So why don't we turn to Malachi uh, chapter 4, going from uh, verse 1 to verse 6. The word of the Lord reads, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you and who you are, of your holiness, your majesty, and your power. As we read from your word this morning, God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another as your church. Lord, help us to apply this passage to our lives, that we would be challenged and changed by your word through it and through the working of your Spirit in us. That we would be obedient followers of Christ, reflecting you. 
And Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, that you will be centered, that you will be glorified, and, as, and that you uh, would continue to save and sanctify your people. And I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So going into this last section, it's important for us to recall what we talked about previously uh, that Pastor Nate preached on last week, um, that the people were being cynical. They had a very cynical attitude. They questioned the joy and benefit of fearing God. Calling it vain. You know, they saw the evil, they seemed to, the evil people seemed to prosper, uh, to put God to the test, and yet they still escaped, they still got away. And so they questioned Why are we following God? What benefit does it have? What blessing does it have? And as Pastor Nate expressed, each of us has been there before. We've had those thoughts. We've had that attitude. But Malachi 3 sets up nicely the distinction or contrast that is clearly outlined in this final chapter. Between the righteous and the wicked, those who serve God and those who do not. And so the first thing we see is that the day of the Lord will destroy the evildoers for their unfaithfulness. Malachi begins by saying, the day is coming. Malachi calls God's people to not be so focused on the moment, but to look ahead to the coming day with hope, when evil will justly be destroyed. And the Lord will gather his treasured possession, those people that he calls his own, whom he spares. A day itself burning like an oven or furnace will utterly destroy the arrogant and evildoers. God will have his justice. And those who do not fear God, who do not humble themselves before the mighty name of God, who seek evil and violence, who are selfish and seeking prideful gain, the day is coming where they will receive their due. It is a response to the question found in Malachi 3.15 that the evildoers seem to escape. They test God and they still get away. They don't get punished. They don't fear his name. But we see that their sin will indeed catch up with them. And God will justly deal with the evildoer who have not feared his name. That they and their finite gains that they strive for will be consumed. A complete and full consumption. As we read, there will be neither root nor branch. No foundation for them to stand upon. No foundation will remain that is not founded on Christ and in Christ alone. See, I didn't think like this when I was younger. I was so caught up in the moment of what was happening to me right then and now. That's what mattered to me the most. You know, I saw friends who were partying, who would get drunk, who would have a good time and come back even closer as a group. While I was there, left alone, feeling left out, feeling excluded with my faith. I witnessed people who were prideful and selfish and rude and conceited still get more opportunities and praise for what they've done and who they were because they're more athletic or better looking and yet they were still awful to other people but people still seemed to be attracted to them and still seemed to praise them for those things that they did. And I didn't understand why. I, who was trying so hard to keep following God, always seemed to come up short. 
in so many ways in my life and at so many times, but I realize the blessings of God do not always come in finite worldly desires, but actually in spiritual needs and in God's presence with us. His patience, His grace, and His mercy, His love, His discipline, His comfort, His peace, His immense ability to continuously pursue my undeserving self time and time again with forgiveness and grace. That is the blessing of God's people. And we see God's response to the constant questioning of the cynical attitude that his people had. A clear contrast is made between the righteous and the evildoer. And the line that's made is not because of heritage or culture. It's faith. Fearing God's name. Coming in humility and repentance. Not just once, but as a daily attitude. Even God's chosen people, if continuing in their cynical and evil ways, would not inherit this covenant promise. But they would receive the same punishment as these other evildoers. God's people were not living as God's people. They were not bearing God's name. And, it's, <clears throat> and what was happening was that this reality is that we're in, it's not very far from home from where we are. We are living in a time where bearing God's name is only used when it benefits the inheritor. Where faith is diminished to a one-time prayer and a half-hearted attendance to a building. Where one's own truth and feelings are more important than God's truth and will. You see, these were his people. And they did not represent God. But it begs the question, how are we faring ourselves as God's people? How have we responded to what we read here? That the day is coming to, build, to destroy the evildoers. Have we truly put our faith in Christ? Are we looking ahead to what God has done? Are we still living in this moment, striving for the good life, striving for what we want and not what God desires of us? Because it's easier to not wait. Do we continue to question God and his ways of dealing with the wicked in the moment, accusing him of being unfair or too slow? Do we just continue to strive for the good life, for comfort, while neglecting the life that God calls each of us to as his children? Are we more concerned with the acceptance of others as opposed to the acceptance of our Heavenly Father? Do we try to take things into our own hands and take revenge even, try to be the judge when that is not our role? When evil seems to be winning, do we complain? Do we question? Do we become impatient and forget who God is and what he has promised? Because I know I have. All these questions, I've been there before. But God calls us to continue to go and to trust him, to continue to share the gospel, knowing that it's only through true faith that any of us can be saved. That God is our king and creator, yet we sin. And in our sinful nature, we've continued to turn from him. And we are deserving of this exact thing. To be destroyed. To be burned. To become stubble. Yet God sent his only son, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins that we would be forgiven. That we'd be advocated for. And our relationship restored through, uh, with God through Jesus' sacrifice. And he rose again the stamp of approval that judgment was paid in full. He took on this punishment for us. 
But what are we now giving back to God? Are we truly putting our faith in Christ that we would not be destroyed but be forgiven, made a child of God, living in obedience, living in the joy of being with our Heavenly Father, guided by the Spirit, to be sanctified and walking with Him as our King and Father? Do we rest in the joy and hope of the gospel, realizing what God has saved us from? Seeing what He will do to those who are not in Christ? who do not fear the name of God and honor and trust Him? Or are we continuing to seek evil, thinking that it will get us what we want? And maybe it does, but only for a split second in a time of eternity. Are we truly living by faith in who God is and what He promises He will do? I pray that we are, because as we continue to read The next thing we see is that the day of the Lord brings healing and victory to the God-fearing. For the evildoer, the coming day of the Lord is one of judgment and destruction. But for those who fear the name of God, He will bring justice. He will bring honor and trust. It will mean something so much for us. It's a beautiful picture of hope and joy to come. See, verse 2 begins, But for you who fear my name. It's a beautiful word, but. It should bear us to recall what was read previously in chapter 3 of the book of Remembrance. For those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name that we see in, verse, uh, in chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. It's a combination of those two things. That we would fear the Lord And we'd honor his name. They are the ones who receive this promise that God has put out. Interesting, as I said before, not to the Jews, but all those who fear God and come to him with humility and repentance. And Malachi uses two images to describe the blessing. He uses the sun and the image of a leaping calf. See, in the day of the Lord, Christ will come like a blazing sun, the fiery heat burning away the arrogant, the evildoers. But on the righteous, it will be shining on those who who fear God, protecting them from judgment in God's blessing. This image of the sun points God for us to recall His light that shines in the darkness, the ability to see things as they really are, to see truth, to not stumble and fear in the darkness and lies of this world. See, Jesus is the light of the world. It points to the righteous rays. Jesus makes everything right. He brings about balance and justice, righteousness and reconciliation on the whole world for both the righteous and the wicked for their faith or lack thereof. And the Son brings purification and healing. Uh, Not many of us would describe the sun as having wings. However, this imagery comes from the Persian deity Ahura Mazda, a winged sun disk in which a king placed under it uh, was under blessing and protection. Malachi was pointing God's people to the fact that blessing and protection comes from the Lord. This healing that Malachi writes is more than just sickness, uh, sickness healing, but actually relational healing. 
Although not all diseases and sicknesses are healed in this life, it is promised in the resurrection. Healing will come. And ultimately, our relationship made complete and full as God's image bearers, made good through Christ. And we look forward to that day. That some things may be healed now or maybe not yet, but we know that the healing will come. The second image that uh, Malachi uses is the image of the calf. God's fearing people leaping out of a stall like a calf. This is a beautiful picture of the freedom experienced by God's people. A joy that is found only in the freedom set by Christ. People search for joy and freedom in so many ways and methods in our world. Through success, through financial stability, through relationships, through appearance, through reputation or fame or control or power. Yet the Bible points to true freedom and that true freedom comes from fearing and living for God. No longer are we confined by our sins but are freed from the chains, freed from the sin and the path to destruction. The image of leaping for joy is one I can picture so clearly. You know, the inability to explain the excitement and thrill that you feel inside, that you can't, that mere words just can't express, but can only be expressed with boundless leaping. Like a sports team getting that winning goal that crowns them victors. Their fans going wild, gathered together, jumping up and down. And like the sports team, Malachi not only points to the freedom, but also the victory that God's people have. The joy and the victory that they share together. Praising God, being in His glory, evil finally justly being destroyed, our sin gone and wiped clean. When the calves are set free, leaping, they will tread on the ashes of the wicked. This points us to the fact that we have no part in the actual judging because that is left to the Lord to act on. But we will still play a role in the restoration of this world. And this may be a difficult passage for us to grasp. It may even offend. But we must realize that the character of our God is so contrast to the character of the wicked. Our God is holy and just and loving. And as we've heard uh, weeks before, He does not change. He is immutable. He in every right should have wiped us all out already. He would be just in doing so. Yet he is patient and gracious and merciful. And he sent his own son to die our death on the cross. To pay the price for our sins. To bear uh, God's judgment and wrath for our evil. That we could be forgiven and free if we believe. We should not be surprised that a just God judges But we should be surprised that a just God actually loves someone so much like us that he saved us. And by the means of sacrificing himself for us. If God did not punish the wicked and the sinful, the unrepentant, the prideful, the violent and selfish, then he would not be just and he would not be loving. For how could a loving God allow evil to reign? This freedom and joy is beyond what we have ever experienced. But do we see it as that? 
Is life lived for God? Is relationship with God? Is God glorified through our life the most precious thing to us? Something that we hold on to so tight that nothing else can take it away. Do we find great joy living for God? A joy unspeakable and unexplainable? A joy that in the midst of difficulty through the tears and suffering is still unwavering and unchanged because of the hope we find in Christ? Whose love drove him to die in our place for our sins? Do we have that joy? Do we as a church have that joy? Then we must continue to come to God in repentance and humility, remembering that victory belongs to him. And those who fear his name will be a part of that restoration. For although right now things seem unfair, it seems like evil might be winning. All of that loss will be rebalanced in the end with the great joy of our God glorified. <clears throat> and so we've come to the end, not just of our series in the Minor Prophets, but also the last verses in the Old Testament. And what a fitting ending to both, um, as Malachi points, those faithful, God-freeing people to await the promised Messiah. The suffering, the difficulty, the sacrifice, it's not the end. With those in Christ, there is more to the story. It leads us to repentance and faithfulness in God, to walk humbly with Him as we await Jesus' return, in full glory and awe. So how are we to live now as we wait? See, the day of the Lord calls us to see Christ in the law and in the prophets. Malachi calls us to both look back and look ahead as we live in the now, revealing a connection between both the law and the and the prophets. In verse 4 he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. This word remember is more than just looking back and recalling something. But the word is actually used countless times in Deuteronomy as a call to action. To remember was to link the past to the present and the future, to look back, to look ahead. Throughout Malachi, the Mosaic Covenant is echoed, referring to worship and sacrifice and the priests, the tithing and the law. And God has not changed. And he still desires obedience to him. He continues to call them back to himself in humility and repentance to live in obedience to him. This covenant and law has not been forgotten by God. And they are still standing on the traditions of Moses the prophets are not calling God's people into anything different. They're called into the same covenant of fearing God and obeying His commands. Looking back, the people are to be reminded of God's covenantal promise that He is still faithfully kept. That He's remained faithful in that promise and will continue to remain faithful in, in keeping that promise. Ultimately, the law is fulfilled in Christ. He lived it perfectly, that we could be made perfect in Him. As He said in Matthew five seventeen, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ lived the law perfectly. He is the perfect sacrifice. And in Hebrews 3, verses 3 to 6, 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And Malachi also points to the coming of Elijah. See, Moses, who represented the law, and now Elijah, who represents the prophets. As we said, they were to remember the law of Moses, but with Elijah, they are to look ahead, to anticipate the coming of the prophet who will restore the relationship between father and children. Says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. An echo of verse 3, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1 of Malachi, uh, which Jesus in Matthew 11:10 points to John the Baptist, who, who he then again refers to in Matthew 11:14 as Elijah who is to come. But we know John, of course, denying such, saying he was not Elijah, but ultimately pointing to Christ himself and preparing the way for him. This is again pointing us to Christ who fulfills the prophets. The one who calls us out of our pride and selfishness into repentance and humility. As John pointed the people to Christ through his witness, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who restores the relationship between God, our Heavenly Father, and us, his children. The covenant relationship is summarized by the simple relationship between father and child. both with us and God and us with one another, to love God and to love one another. We need Christ, the promised messenger and fulfiller of our covenant, that judgment can be avoided lest we be destroyed. For he is coming again to devote to destruction what is evil. But for those in Christ, this coming will be a certain blessing. And so the Old Testament then closes with a word of promise ringing in the minds of its readers concerning the two greatest prophets of old, Moses and Elijah. When God determined to show the significance of Jesus' earthly ministry, he had these two men appear on a mountain with our Savior in the Transfiguration in Mark 9.4. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. Their appearance in Christ's time indicated that he was the apex of their messages, fulfilling and transcending both of them. As demonstrated by his radiance, he is the one whom the law and the prophets ultimately anticipated. As he said to his disciples, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In Jesus, the entire Bible clicks into place. The whole Bible is at its heart the word of God's grace that comes together in his Son. And so what does this call us to then? As fears of God's name, we are to live with our trust in Christ. As we look back with faith and ahead with hope, awaiting the coming day of the Lord. So this is a call to repentance to be saved from the coming wrath. 
If you have not repented and believed, now is your chance to take that step of faith, to put your faith in Christ, the perfect sacrifice. God is calling you to himself. It requires repentance and humility to recognize your sin and ask forgiveness, recognizing that we cannot do anything about it, but we can be saved through Christ who died and rose in our place. Have you put your faith in Christ? Because if not, you can do that right now. But for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, are we still living with daily repentance in our hearts? Are we still searching for that good life? Not remembering what God has pointed out will happen to those who are not truly walking by faith, who are not truly fearing His name. Are we checking, checking and examining our hearts daily? Are we continuing to fight against the sin in our lives? This also calls us to hope with joy as we await the return of Christ. Do we find our joy in Christ, or is it from somewhere else? Is it from security? Is it from success or wealth? From popularity, from power, from control, from doing what we want? Or do we continue to wait with hopeful anticipation of this joy of Christ's return? Of the joy of being with our Heavenly Father forever, praising His name and glorifying Him, sin finally being over? Do we live with that joy in our hearts? And lastly, do we continue in covenant faithfulness as we look ahead? As we look back to look ahead? What's something that you are facing in your life right now? Is it taking over? Are you so caught up in that moment that you're forgetting who God has shown us of who He is? That you're forgetting His promises? That you're not looking ahead to the joy of His return? Looking back, how has God already shown you His faithfulness? Looking back in His Word, looking back in your own life and your own experiences, has God not already been so faithful to us? I encourage you to pray that you would rest in the promises and faithfulness of God, that we as a church would rest in the promises and faithfulness of God, that we would look back, that we'd be reminded each and every time that we open His Word of who He is and just how amazing He is, His love for us, that as you face these challenges in your life, as you face the things that God has brought into your life, that you would come to Him in repentance, that you continue to trust, that you continue to persevere, that you continue to grow in faithfulness of who He is, that you continue to fear His name, knowing what is to come. And so again, as fears of God's name, we are to live with our trust in Christ as we look back with faith and look ahead with hope, awaiting the coming day of our Lord. And so that closes our time in uh, the Minor Prophets and as well in the Old Testament. But this journey has shown us a covenant, patient, and merciful God, one who keeps his promises of redemption and restoration for those who are faithful and put their trust in him. 
We are shown a just God who rightfully will put an end to all evil in his timing and way for the arrogant, wicked evildoers who go their own way. And God continually calls people, his people to return to him and promises that he will return to us. The Messiah has come and will come again. The righteous restored through faith in him and the unrighteous punished justly. And we look forward to that day for the return of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this time that we could spend in your word, reflecting on who you are. God, as we look back to these promises and as we look back to your character and your faithfulness to your people, God, we're reminded of who you are. And God, we want to just praise you and worship you in that. We thank you, God, that you are merciful, that you are patient, that you are faithful, that you are loving to us, God. And God, that you will put an end to evil. That sin does not have the last word, God, but that you do. That sin does not have the victory, God, but that you have the victory. For you have already won. And so, God, we await this day with hope and joy. God, may that image of a leaping calf just ring true in our hearts. God, that we would be bounding with joy because of what you have done through Christ and, God, what you've promised to do. God, I pray that we would look back so that we can look ahead with hope, that we would look back with faith, remembering who you are. God, that as your church, we would be bold in proclaiming your name. God, that we would continue to fight against the sin in our lives, that we would not be content with what this world has to offer, God, but continue to seek what you have to offer us through Christ. God, that we recognize in our own humility and repentance that we are not deserving of any of this. But God, in your patience and mercy, you have given us the opportunity to live for you, that you have called us to yourselves, God, and we praise you and thank you. God, as we close in the Old Testament, it points us to Christ. And so may we look ahead with that hope and joy of Christ's return, of sin being defeated. And God, may we praise you in our lives with you glorified as we seek to fear your name and be obedient to what you call us to. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.